Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. so much. There they are, the best actresses of 1968. Catherine Hepburn in The Lion in Winter, Patricia Neal for The Subject was Roses, Vanessa Redgrave for Isadora, Barbara Streisand, Funny Girl, Joanne Woodward for Rachel, Rachel. The winner, it's a tie. The winners are Catherine Hepburn in Lion in the Winter and Barbara Streisand. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1969 ceremony year win for Barbara Streisand and Katherine Hepburn. This is the only time that there has ever been a tie in Best Actress history. And up until this point in history, this was the third time this has ever happened. Uh, up until that point, the first time was in 1932 for Best Actor, and then again in 1950 for Best Documentary Short Subject. So this isn't something that often happens. What was interesting about this tie is the old Academy rules, if there was a tie, it could be within three votes of each other. There could be a margin of uh, three votes and they would just be like, well, it's close enough and it'll be a tie. But for this year with Katherine Hepburn and Barbara Streisand, allegedly it was exactly the same numbers and everything. And that was the only way that you could tie. So apparently uh, this happened. So that's very um, interesting. There's a lot to sort of talk about there, uh, but we don't believe in ties on this show. So it'll be fun to sort of pick our winner. Uh, today I am joined by a friend. I am joined by a comedian. Their album, Magically Malicious, uh, went to number one on iTunes. I just toured with them uh, through Eastern Ontario, and we have been living together in a house for the past week. And now we're back at home and we're recording this podcast. It's Fiona O'Brien. Hey, Fiona. Hi, Kyle. I miss um, you. Oh, <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> what do you miss most about living in the house together? Um, you're very domestic. Waking I up and there's coffee made, breakfast made. <laughs> oh, my God. I, re I really, I really am. Yeah. I'm definitely very, uh, clean. Um, and I gotta have coffee ready and food. I'm, a, I grew up in a house with a father with OCD, so I'm used to everything being spotless. Well, I need to obviously find myself a man with OCD. <laughs> Um, okay, a couple of things about the 1969 ceremony year. Uh, best actor went to Cliff Robertson for Charlie. Best supporting actor went to Jack Albertson for The Subject Was Roses. Um, best actress in a supporting role went to Ruth Gordon for Rosemary's Baby. Gotta say, I almost wish that Mia Farrow was nominated for Best Lead Actress over maybe some of the nominees this year for Rosemary's Baby. But uh, Best Director went to Carol Reed for Oliver and Best Picture went to Oliver, which is a musical. Um, okay. So this was a very interesting year. There are some, there are a couple of really fantastic performances, a couple of really great movies. There are some 
weird performances. There are some weird movies. And then there are some fucking three-hour naps that are going on in here. Okay. <laughs> and I don't like li- – I don't love, like, s- listening to a podcast and have people – you know, um, complain, like, I want to be a fan, you know, like I'm rooting, like I want to this to be fun and I want to enjoy these movies. But I think Fiona, you and I can both agree that some of these movies were fucking like getting a root canal. Shite. Oh my gosh. Um, but then there were some that were fantastic. So I don't even know really where to begin with this because this is tricky because, Okay. How do we, okay, let's just jump in. Okay. Okay. Let's just jump in to the first movie that, we, that took us three days to finish. Let's talk about Vanessa Redgrave in Isadora. Okay. So Isadora is a bio, this movie is a biography of the 1920s dancer Isadora Duncan, who forever changed people's ideas of ballet. Her nude and semi-nude and pro-Soviet dance subjects, as well as her attitude and lifestyle, shock the public of her time. Vanessa Redgrave is sporting an American accent in this movie very well. Um, I think Vanessa Redgrave is one of the best. I think that Vanessa Redgrave did exactly what she was supposed to do with Mm -hmm. this role and this script. But God, this movie, this character, it was like the most insufferable, unlikable, annoying character. And I'm sure that the dancing was probably extremely accurate to how Isadora Duncan danced, but it really did not entertain me or I didn't, it was just, this movie was really fucking painful. I know Vanessa Redgrave was given it her all and it's like, yeah, I can, she won the Cannes Film Festival for Best Actress. It's a very artsy film, but this seems like a film for very pleased with themselves artist types and honey i am not one of those people anyway uh fiona what did you think about this movie and what did you think about this performance well as you know i've renamed the film to isabora because (laughs) i really struggled i really struggled to get through this and it's only out of love for you that i continued um vanessa fabulous actress like unbelievable and i and i'm sure she did every single thing that the director wanted her to do but the movie jesus christ i mean it was all very arty farty and you know that she was this groundbreaking artist and thespian and um had made was making these huge leaps in in um sexuality for women and and being a wonderful performer for the time but for us, I suppose, watching it now, I was like, this is complete shite. Um, and I, I can understand it winning an award at Cannes because it's all very European and very arty farty. Um, mm-hmm. and, and like, interesting to see the time and the era, but oh, it was painful. It really was painful. And it's funny because when you watch like the type of dance that was like revolutionizing ballet, because it was almost like like interpretive dance. Um, it's like, I think I've sweat more watching a Zumba class. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
there was like she just kind of was like flitting around on stage like she would just kind of kick her leg and then she would flow her arm and and so i understand that that is what um has revolutionized the the ballet and the dance and the interpretive um dance and and this totally revolutionized everything so it's like i understand the significance but does that make for an interesting movie no no and there's no No. way like please tell me there's no way this was choreographed I swear to God, they just said to Vanessa, take a scarf, go on the stage and do whatever you want. Well, fun fact, uh, leading lady Vanessa Redgrave trained for six months in order to imitate Isadora Duncan's dancing style in the film. Holy shit. So like, I don't know, maybe it wasn't because it's like she learned the style and like maybe she was kind of just doing the interpretive thing that Isadora was like famous for but I'll tell you if I paid how because she was in these grand theaters across Europe if I paid you know like <laughs> 200 euro to see some woman flit around on stage like that I'd, I'd be asking for a fucking refund you know absolutely and people were arriving in fur coats and tiaras to watch this shite you know <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing and and men found her so desirable and yeah. um it's interesting because well first of all like I think she probably nailed the American accent. She absolutely nailed the American accent. Like I just watched Kara Knightley in like the Boston Strangler movie that's on Disney Plus on Star, mm-hmm. and uh, fantastic film by the way. A bit of an unsatisfactory ending, but like watching her do this accent, it's not like it's a bad American accent. I'm just very aware that I'm watching. Kira Knightley do an American accent, but in this with Vanessa Redgrave as Isadora, like she just very much had that natural American accent. It, it really worked for me. Um, that I'm again, I'm sure she probably nailed the dancing, and I'm sure that um, this very much is who this person was. So let's celebrate the fact that we're singling out the nomination for acting. It's like, just in terms of the acting, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's all there. But as an audience member, fucking stab me with a fork in the eye. It was so (laughs) painful. And I couldn't find any redeeming features about her. She just seems so selfish. And it was like, she just would do whatever the hell she wanted in like the, and it's, it's fine to have a character that is flawed. Of course. I mean, we're human beings, but it's like, you need to have some kind of a redeemable um, feature or a redeemable um, personality. Like there's something has to be like a balance. And I just felt like this character was just really unbalanced because uh, by the end of the movie, um, like whenever she gets her scarf caught in the (laughs) tire and then it it breaks her neck, I didn't care. I was oh, thank God the movie's over. Like, you know? Yeah. The only redeemable part for me was how much she loved her kids and she was putting them above everybody. And I liked that. But then sure they died and then I didn't like her again. (laughs) I mean, I enjoyed the fact that she would go to these like high society, like socialite kind of parties and she would dance around like a sugar plum fairy. And they didn't really shy away from the fact that like she just was this super artsy sort of hipstery for the time person and that she didn't she did she kind of clashed a lot with these people but she still kind of like fit in with them because she believed that she was this like you know gift to art and i loved the way that she carried herself because you could tell that she believed in all this bullshit 
Yes. And, and I, I liked it. It's just for me as a character, there was just nothing redeemable there for me. Like I just found her incredibly frustrating. Yes. I did like, I did like the way she was kind of treating the men though, as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that. They were more like objects for her because they would validate like, oh, if it, cause it's almost like she only felt beautiful about herself if they found her beautiful or she would only find them attractive if they found her attractive. Oh yeah. They had to adore her. And then she was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and then she'd be, she'd be very into it. But the way she took herself so seriously, I get it. Obviously I understand, but it's almost like that, like Steve Jobs energy where it's like, Oh God, you would, it's like, you're brilliant. You're clearly brilliant. But just if I had to have a conversation with you, I would just be rolling my eyes like, oh, fuck this guy. You know, (laughs) you'd be talking about her behind her back. Yeah. Um, some (laughs) things that I loved. Oh, a hundred percent. We're talking shit about her right now, you know, but like, um, I think this was a very brave performance. Um, do you remember the scene where she takes her top off and she's just fully nude in front of the theater? Yes. And she's like defending her right as an artist and as a form of expression. See that scene, uh, the audience wasn't expecting it. Um, it was just like a genuine shock to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a, as an actor, that's a very brave choice, right? Yeah. But she'd already given full frontal at the earlier on in the movie. (laughs) Was there an audience for it? I can't remember. Oh no, no. It was just, she was one of our arty farty guys. Well, I mean, it's just, it, Vanessa, you can clearly tell that she's such a talent. And, oh, and yeah. It's just like, you can tell that she's doing everything that she's supposed to yeah. with this role. It's just, God, it was like a two and a half hour root canal. It really but was. It, it took us three days to watch it. That'll tell you how bad it was. <laughs> Do you remember whenever she was older and she was just so salty to like anybody that would simply just disagree with her on anything? Yes. Yeah. It, it just became annoying. Like it wasn't like charming where it's sort of like, you know how like Maggie Smith and like Downton Abbey, it's like, she'll sort of have like a bitchy one-liner, but it's very much like, or like dynasty where you're just kind of like, it's a bitchy one-liner, but you can understand like why the character is saying that. And you're like, oh yeah, like get him, girl. It like, wasn't like that. It was just like, you're just being rude. Oh yeah. But I think her mind was since, since the, the kids died and then she mm-hmm. was married. Russian guy and all this like I think she had massive trauma that she never dealt with and then she was like this tortured artist at the end um and I think the way she was treating people it was nearly like how she was falling apart she still thought she was top of the food chain when she wasn't um and her demise you know was was coming and she couldn't handle it so I think just but you know there's so many ways better to do it I mean look at uh, fucking, I don't know, like Natalie Portman in Black Swan, or or Salma Hayek in 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 Frida. It's like there's so many other ways that we could have done. I, maybe it's just the direction or the script or something, yeah. but something is just not working for me. I wonder was she very happy to play the part? I think I actually wrote something down here. I think she said that this was like one of her favorite performances of really? all time. Really? Wow. Okay. So. Okay. <laughs> but. Do you, the only, okay, the only thing that I would say was ridiculous when it came to um, some of her choices as an actor was when she was having that, like, orgasmic birth. 
And she was like the girl, she was like Linda Blair in The Exorcist, the way that she was like frothing at the mouth and rolling around on the bed and having this like, uh, ooh, uh, like that, I, that was just comedy to me. I was like, what yeah. the hell are you doing, girl? Well, I think she was trying to interpret a dance baby out of her. <laughs> right? That, that's what I thought. <laughs> that's funny. That's exactly what, that's exactly what that was. Um I don't know. I just, yeah. It almost was like the movie. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Suspiria. It was like Suspiria, but without any drama or like any sort of like thrills or any kind of like interesting conflict. Cause it's like about like dancing and stuff. And it's like, there's a Suspiria is like a film where it's like, you can have a movie about a dancer and it can be, you know, kind of also like there's a lot of biopics. If there's one thing that we've learned from the last like 20 years at the Oscars is that there's a way to do biopics and this is just not one of them. Good performance. Just, oh yeah. This yeah. this was a short, how long did it take us to finish this movie? Three days. Three days. We tried over three days. <laughs> Bruce. Oh God. Um. Okay. So no, I already said that fact. And I think the only thing that I wrote down here that it really isn't until her children die that she becomes a little bit more interesting. Because basically up until that point in the movie, and at that point, I think you're looking at about an hour, an hour and 15, everything is just going amazing for her. Everything is just perfect. Everything's amazing. She's just flitting around on stage and everybody is just like, wow, you're amazing. Here's millions of dollars. Like, she lives, she moves into a man, a fucking mansion. And you're just like, what? Like, it's just every, like without conflict, it's a, there's no movie. Like it, I really just, and so when her children died, I was like, okay, now we have some things to work with here. We can, Vanessa Redgrave can demonstrate her emotional range. There was a little bit of that, but like, yeah. not really. Not Cause she lot. got in. Well, she got into an argument with that guy in Russia when he wanted to destroy the picture of the children. And then it got like kind of like domestic violence And then it was like, but that was kind of it. They moved on from it and bing, bang, boom, like another like hour and a half to go. And then that was the end of the movie. Like it was just. Yes. Well, anyway, I really, no, honestly, I don't have anything else to say about this performance or movie. Either do I. Either. Like the, I thought when the kids died, I went, okay, cool. Here's some depth to her selfish character. Let's see what happens. And then they died. Somebody tried to break a picture of them and then she went back to being selfish. I'm like, okay. Yeah, like, cool. Like, great. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Vanessa Redgrave, great actress. Uh, and she, I'm sure she did exactly what she was supposed to, but just awful, awful movie. And anybody listening, um, if you disagree with me, honestly, suck my ass. I don't give a shit. It was, <laughs> I really do not care for this film. Okay. Let's talk about Joanne Woodward in Rachel, Rachel. So this was Paul Newman's directorial debut. Um, I think he was nominated for Best Picture for this movie. Joanne Woodward actually won the Golden Globe uh, for Best Performance by an Actress in a Drama over Katherine Hepburn. And I'm not sure, but I don't think Katherine Hepburn ever won a Golden Globe, like other than like a, you know, like a tribute award. But uh, very quickly, so Rachel, Rachel... Uh, Rachel is a lonely school teacher who lives with her mother. When a man from Big City asks her out, she starts thinking about where she wants to go uh, with her life. And um, I'm going to say it. I loved this movie because this movie was a story about 
a woman who always puts everybody else's needs above her own. Mm -hmm. And she finally steps outside of her comfort zone, not necessarily in a big dramatic way, but in a realistic way for this character living in a small town, being a school teacher, living for her mother, having to fucking... Yeah. You know, bust out the sandwiches whenever her mom's girlfriends come over for a bridge. Like, you know, she just is um, every everything is always about what everybody else wants. And um, I just really love the I've seen a lot of Joanne um, Woodward films. I think the one that I, I hated the most was um, Summer Wishes and Winter Dreams. I had to watch that one twice. And ugh. but this one, I, I truly, I truly uh, enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the full journey of uh, the character. She finally, you know, eventually moves out of the town. Um, you know, she, she doesn't have the, she thought she was pregnant, but it turned out to be like a benign cyst. But, you know, um, it's just more like it, she realized that she, she has choices and there's more for um, her out there in the world. And I feel like in the 1960s, that was a very powerful message for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just really enjoyed uh, this performance and, and I really enjoyed this film, especially compared to fucking Isabora. So what did you think about um, this film and what did you think about Joanne Woodward's performance? I was really surprised that I liked this. I was putting it on going, oh God, please let this be good. And I really enjoyed it. I loved the minute... It, it starts and it's her waking up in bed and she's an overthinker and she's paranoid and she's dramatic and she's having these illusions between fantasy and reality. Um, and I, I loved her character. Like I was rooting for her immediately. You know, you could tell that her mom was more or less, you know, passively, aggressively controlling her, that she was of a certain age and still living at home and still the teacher in the local school a very, very sheltered life, living in a bubble. And her mother was very happy to keep her there. Uh, And obviously, since her father had died, the mom now relied on her. And then the mom pretended to have a bad heart and have all these things wrong to try and control her. Um, And I thought Joanne Woodward played this amazing. I was really, I really enjoyed her performance in this. It's interesting that you said that thing about the very beginning. Um, The first thing that I wrote was the opening scene of her bargaining with her brain to get out of bed. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God, I do that every morning. (laughs) And I'm just like, Oh my God. And it's like, you have to like talk yourself out of bed. Yeah. Or maybe it's just because like I have mental health issues. Like, I don't know, but like we all do that. Right. Sure. Don't we all. So I immediately related to her because I was like, we all, we all, our bodies wake up, our brains wake up, and our brains just kick into action with whatever they're telling us. Oh, God. And, you know, one thing, too, as well, is, like, the thing that gives me anxiety when I wake up in the morning is, like, looking at my phone. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, God, who messaged me? What is waiting for me? Like, it's like, I just don't. And it it's this thing now in our society where it's, like, we're just always, like, available. Like, people yes. can always just get in contact with us, whether we're at home or we're out. And it just gives us this like residual anxiety. So that scene when she wakes up and she has these like thoughts of like, oh my God, and she's bargaining and she's thinking, I just thought what a brilliant way. Because most movies always open on like the person wakes up and they're like late for work or school and they're like rushing and then it's like, Ain't no valley high, ain't no river You know, (laughs) and then like a montage. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's like every time and then you're like, and so I just thought it was a really, uh, 
a realistic and also a really fun way to open on the movie, but also really establishing the way that Rachel is because yeah. she, she's like always in her head and she's, she's always talking herself down and she's always talking herself out of things. And I think that's something that we all do. And, um, Calla Estelle Parsons, who actually won the Oscar the year before for Bonnie and Clyde, which pff, I didn't even understand how she won that Oscar, but that's another podcast, uh, episode, but this performance, like she, that was very interesting too, right? Because she was like, I'm assuming she was probably gay, but she lived in a small town. And then she like kisses uh, Rachel and then Rachel like runs away. And then like that obviously affects her and Kala's friendship, but they don't ever really get into it because she is like, Rachel is against people that are gay. It was more just like she had so much going on that she can't deal with her best friend being in love with her. And I like the way that for 1968, when this came out, I love the way that that was handled. Yeah. And I thought Kayla was fantastic. That character just like, like I just, she lit up the screen for me. She was such a contrast to uh, Rachel. Rachel Mm -hmm. was so controlled and in her own head and doubting herself and worrying about everybody else. And Kayla was just this free spirit living life. And and that's what she said to her. She was like, you know, you have to live your life. Um, I wrote it down somewhere. And and when she brought her to the church and, uh, and Kayla obviously is used to for that time. And it was 1968. Right. So she was used to um, letting go and, and, you know, speaking tongues with the Lord and in this church where they were all like holding hands and telling each other they all loved each other and all this. And then Rachel literally scratched the surface of this and ended up on the floor yeah. telling everyone she loved, you know. And then Kayla was, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, and the, the just the contrast between both the characters, I loved when they were on screen together and you saw how much Kayla loved her and just wanted the best for Rachel, but Rachel didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. And she says, oh, Rachel, I didn't mean that when she kisses her and then she just runs away. Yeah. And a really, really, uh, really good performance by Estelle Parsons. That was um, because, yeah, she was nominated for Best Supporting. And I honestly would have given her fucking Best Supporting over like Bonnie and Clyde. But, you know, and that's another episode. But um, I love the way that she very slowly gives into Nick's advances. Um, The guy... Was he a doctor? He was persistent, didn't it? Wasn't he a teacher? He said he was a high school oh, teacher. Oh, that's right. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry. He was, that's right. He was, now, a, he was, he was a, a fine looking lump of a man. Yeah, he was, he was hot. Definitely. Um, and I love the way that she just kind of eventually like slowly like gives into his advances. Um, but then you eventually find out that like he's married and then she, he has a kid and, um, but I enjoyed the way that she did something for the time that was very like risque. Yeah. And she just decided for herself and the emotional journey that it took her to get there. And then when she makes that decision, um, how she deals with that and the consequences of it. And then it turns out it wasn't a pregnancy. It was a cyst. And then the way that she deals with that, but then she still chooses to go to Oregon uh, with her mother because Kala sets up a job and she chooses this new life. It's like, you don't really have, this isn't like a high stakes plot, you know, it's, yeah. it's really about the emotional journey of Rachel. And I think that Paul Newman, her husband, who also was a fucking ride. Oh, do you my know that God. my dad, and I don't know if it, people listen to this podcast probably won't believe this. When my dad was younger, he was the image of Paul Newman. 
Really? Okay. Yes. Well, that's hot. I'm gonna. Pff, you gotta I, I'll that. send you a photo. <laughs> I would like one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I just the way that Joanne Woodward sort of navigated this emotional mm-hmm. journey to me, it felt the most the most complex of all of these characters. And I can see how she won best actress drama at the golden globes. You know, I, um, I, I just, cause I've seen Joanne Woodward in other films and I, I, I didn't love the performance. And then I see her in something like this and I'm just like, Oh, okay. Like I get it. You know? Yeah. I loved this performance and I loved that you could, they were very, very slowly showing you that even though she lived as if she was younger with the mom controlling her and in the single bed in the bedroom and blah, blah, blah. And her mother coming into her every morning. She had sexual urges. Like, like the first time you see that is uh, when one of the friends pulls up in the car and he's like, Oh, we haven't seen you come out to dinner and I want you to meet someone. And she fantasizes kissing his arm and touching his arm. And, uh, and then there was, was I imagining it or was there a masturbation scene? And she was like, don't do it, Rachel, don't do it. And she was like, I'll just do it to help me sleep. So her body, she was having sexual urges, but her mind was trying to fight against them. Uh, and I thought that the way they filmed it was amazing. I, I just, I thought her her performance was fantastic in this. And then she eventually gives in to Nick and opens the floodgates. And you can tell the release. You can see the release <laughs> from her that she's finally got laid. Like literally and figuratively, Yeah. Yes. And now I wasn't too sure when there's a scene when she comes back after being with him and he says, you can sort it out yourself. And then she goes and gets a hose from on top of a, because she lived above an undertaker's. Her father used to run an undertaker's in a funeral home. Mm-hmm. And um, so she went to get this hose. Is this some sort of kind of a douching ritual that women would do back then to make sure they didn't <laughs> get pregnant? I also was wondering that okay. as well. I was like, mm, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was looking at it going, oh, brown paper bag with the hose. And it sm- And she was like, it smells of antiseptic. And, and she was hiding from her mother. And then when her mother found it, her mother knew that she must have had sex. And, and so this must have been a thing that people did. You yeah. know? Yeah, like it was their plan B, but it was like <laughs> plan. plan. But like B stood for like brown paper bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very messy. Jesus, I'm glad we've moved on. <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh, f- for sure. Um, it, I think also to another fantastic moment is at the end. And this was a very important scene when she, I wouldn't say stands up to her mother, more like challenges her mother. And she's like saying like, you can come with me. There are things to do in Oregon. Like we can make a life somewhere else. I need to get out of here, you know? And the way that her mother is so resistant, but then she kind of like for the first time with her mother, like puts her foot down. It's like this full journey. And like, this is kind of the end of the journey, the full circle moment. And Mm -hmm. um, I also love the way that when she's on the bus at the end, she's like still in her head again and she's still thinking about it. And she's still, because there's no... You're never like we're always changing and we're always growing and we're always learning. And I just love that it it's sort of like a bit of an open ending. And um, of all the performances, this felt the most realistic. This felt the most relatable. And I just think that it had a really wonderful message, especially for women at the time. And um, of the, all the Joanne Woodward performances that I've seen to date, this is certainly my favorite. Yeah. And I thought I loved Kayla at the end when she's leaving her at the bus stop. I was pissed off that she took the mother with her. I was like, let the mother just rot in that <laughs> place. Ups- like she has used you for so long. 
mm. get out there into into the world and enjoy yourself. And I kind of wanted her to be with Hector, the guy that run the who was in charge of the funeral home. Now he I seems very nice. I kind of thought that's where it was going. So did I. So did I, but he didn't take advantage of her. They had drinks and he said, I'm very aware that you have a very complicated relationship with your mother. And um, I don't know who the actress was that played her mom, but the their conversation, their dialogue was so clever. I, I just, the performances were brilliant in this. I was really, I really enjoyed everyone's performance in this movie. And for the time of it, it was very kind of risque. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose. That. I mean, yeah, I, I feel, yeah, like, like yeah i mean like i guess so but at the same time like we have vanessa redgrave like taken off her top and i don't want to talk about her anymore <laughs> <laughs> i loved kayla saying to her before she got on the bus she's like oh rachel i'm always pushing things out of their cages um you yeah. know and it was like kayla had kind of sparked the interest in her of get out there and get into the world Uh, It was a great script, yeah. Oh, really good. And like every time we go to the ice cream parlor, all you ever have is vanilla. There are 43 other flavors and you always go for vanilla. And it was, I loved the script. I thought it was so clever. It was really, really clever. Um, I uh, almost would argue that uh, Paul Newman should have been nominated for Best Director. I think he actually won Best Director at the Golden Globes. Um, But... I'm trying to think. I'm just going to see here because I think it was nominated for. Okay, so it didn't win any Oscars, but it was nominated for writing. Okay, good. It should yeah. have been. Mm, and yeah, Paul Newman was nominated for Best Picture. But um, let's see. So this was Paul Newman's directorial debut. I already mentioned that. And also Nell Potts, who plays Rachel as a young girl, is actually Joanne Woodward and Paul Newman's daughter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, well. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add to the performance before we move on? No, I was very happy with it. <laughs> yes, me as well. And it was such a sigh of relief after Isabora. Yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's talk about Patricia Neal in The Subject Was Roses. So very quickly, a young man returning home from World War II finds himself caught up in his parents' turbulent relationship. And the young man returning home is a young Martin Sheen. It is, I've only ever seen Martin Sheen with gray hair. So it is really weird seeing him like young, like he, some, he's clearly been using retinol. I don't know, but it just looks, (laughs) he looks great. His skin looks wonderful. Um, so Patricia Neal, I think her husband, so Jack Albertson, actually one best supporting actor for this, plays John the husband. He was also the grandpa, uh, Grandpa Joe in Willy Wonka. I immediately recognized his voice. I knew because we were talking about how much you loved Willy Wonka last week. Yeah. So I thought, oh, maybe Fiona will enjoy this. Um So Patricia Neal in this movie, uh, she is the matriarch and she and her husband are in a very complicated relationship in the 1940s. This is a time before divorce. Mm -hmm. So that actually adds a layer of interest to the audience because you're like, well, why wouldn't you just get a divorce? Clearly you two like this, you hate each other. Yeah. But then, or not that they hate each other. I think that's a lazy way to describe it. It's more like it's, they just there's no passion there they're like indifferent yeah i mean they they sleep in separate beds which i realized was common for the time but like even whenever he tries to initiate sex whenever he's drunk like that got really fucking weird at one point and then 
you know, when Martin Sheen brings back the roses and then tells Jack Albertson, oh, you take credit for it and, and tell, you know, her that th- these are from you. And the way that she, like, there's this sudden spark, this reinvigoration toward him, just this small gesture, but then it gets ruined whenever he gets drunk and tries to have sex with her in this really sort of crass, uh, gross kind of way. And then the the passion is gone and suddenly they're right back to where they were. Um, I would say of all the performances, Patricia Neal in this movie, she just felt it felt so realistic. Like she just felt like she just didn't give a fuck. Yeah. And I just kind of love those kinds of stories, like a mom who's just over it. Like I fucking love that kind of storyline. Yeah. Um, This movie is clearly based on a play Mm -hmm. and that never makes for a fun movie, but I will say that Patricia Neal, um, it's almost like a very, uh, important store role for women during this time, just like Joanne Woodward and Rachel Rachel. But I would say that Joanne Woodward maybe has the edge there because I think that hers was a little bit more interesting. But I think that Patricia Neal brought a layer of reality and um, it was a very layered performance Um Compared to, like, I mean, dramatically speaking, in terms of, like, the emotional places that she had to go to as an actor and as a as a, a mother and a, as, mm-hmm. a, as a wife and as somebody during time post-World War II, I bought all of it. And I just think that she carried all of those requirements for the character very well. And it was um, a really wonderful performance and kind of a uh, movie. Anyway, uh, what did you what did you think about the movie, and what did you think about Patricia Neal? Uh, let me tell you, if I had been born in, if I was her age back then, right, this would be me. <laughs> if you weren't allowed to get divorced, this I Jesus Christ, did I ever relate to this character? She is living with her husband. Husband, he's having affairs. She's the person that keeps the house. The son is away at war for three years, leaves a boy, comes back a man. Then she's struggling that her son has changed. Like she wants to make him waffles. And he's like, well, can I have eggs and bacon? But she always loved waffles. And just that between her and her son. And then he's trying to go, no, it's still me. I'm just, you know, she was adjusting to him being a man. Um, The indifference between her and the husband and him giving her housekeeping for the week and then she's like can I have another five dollars he's like what, what happened to the 15 I gave you last week and I was like oh my I still know couples in this day and age where the man gives the woman housekeeping can you believe that right yeah so anyway not in my house because I'm divorced <laughs> but anyway <laughs> and I worked but I related to her so much where she was just zero emotion on her face plodding along this is my lot. I can't get divorced. I'm just going to get through another fucking day. And mm. I just thought she was fantastic in this role. And if this ever comes to a stage near me, I'm going to go see it as a play as well. Oh, wow. Okay. High praise. That's interesting. Um, I think this was based, the source novel, I think won the Pulitzer Prize uh, in 1964. So this was uh, like acclaimed work. And you know, I think there's a lot of pressure there whenever you have those these big scripts and these big books and these big moments and stuff like that. And I think that Patricia Neal 
there was never a moment where um, I didn't think that she was who was she was supposed to be playing. Like it was like she just was this character. Um, I th- also love the way that whenever that waffle scene happened and he was uh, comforting her. Like he had just come back from war, yeah. But she was upset about the waffles and not being able to go and visit that um, man with special needs that uh, works at the delicatessen or whatever, and or, or wherever it was. They they never ended up. They never did any scenes with that guy, but they were describing him, and they said that he emotionally was like a four year old or something. Yeah. And, and 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 Martin Sheen had to keep comforting her. Yeah. And I I liked the way that they presented her in that sort of not not like selfish, but just sort of like again, like she's a she's a flawed person. It's like if anybody should be comforting anybody, it should be the man who literally just murdered a bunch of people in war. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it shouldn't be because you didn't like things have changed and you didn't get to make waffles for your son and you're making this whole situation about you. This is an example where we're having sort of a bit of an unlikable character trait. Um, but then there's other things that makes her so redeemable because she's going through a lot where again, like, I know I keep going back to this, but it is Adora. There wasn't that where it was like, she was just flawed and there was nothing redeemable about her where I just feel like Patricia Neal, she was flawed, but you understood why there was reasoning for it. And you were like, yeah, like everything, uh, about this woman, it's very much like she is just doing her best and she is just working with the cards that she was dealt and the time that she's living through. Um, but she doesn't strike me as a victim. And that's another thing that I, I love the way that she plays the character. My favorite line was whenever they were talking about going to church and, um, how, you know, Jack Albertson is praising Martin Sheen for being a man. And then he decides Martin Sheen that he doesn't want to go to church. And then I, uh, you know, Jack Albertson's getting so angry and she goes, yesterday you said that he was a man, a man has arrived and he's decided for himself. And I love the way that she kind of just, it's not these big explosive arguments. She kind of just puts him in his place by just stating facts, but she just says it in this, like, I don't, she's just over it. It's that I'm over it mom energy. And I would fucking divorce you if I could, but it's just, it's 1940. When did the year, what did the war end? 46. I don't know. I'm horrible with history, but the point is, is you know what I'm saying? It's just like the way that she did it. It was just so believable and just so well done. Oh, I thought she was brilliant. She was so checked out. You know, I think I'm trying to think here. What else did I, what do I have here? Uh, John also keeps pushing her away, even when she is showing affection. I oh, and then at one point, John he, he has an affair, and the way that they kind of deal with that. But then she, Nettie, by the way, Patricia Neal, the character that she's playing is called Nettie. Yeah, she. Uh, kind of says something along the lines of like, I know about the affairs and I know that your father is having an affair. And again, like that also adds to another layer of her disappointment with how her life turned out. Um, I will admit this movie I did check out a lot. Um, it's an amazing performance, but just as a film, I, I thought it was just a little dry for me and I, I needed more, um, yeah. but I can understand why the performance was... Uh, nominated nominated yeah 
yeah i i just thought she was fantastic and she you could tell that she was checked out she you could tell she was mourning her son coming back a man you could tell how needy she was from it you could tell that she wanted her husband to love her and focus on her but that ship had sailed and she knew it was never coming back um and you and even martin sheen's struggle with trying to rekindle the romance between the two of them um and it wasn't going to work but he tried um you know i just I, I really loved it. I thought it was great. And and very much, to me, it was very much a stage play. Like this whole thing could have just happened all around a kitchen table on stage. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes it kind of felt like that's what was happening. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Here's a fact about this movie. So uh, this movie was the first film that Patricia Neal made after suffering three massive and near fatal strokes early in 1965. Neil was in a coma for two and a half weeks and underwent emergency brain surgery. Paralyzed on her right side and unable to talk, she had to learn how to use her limbs again, how to speak again, and had to relearn the alphabet in order to spell the simplest of words. By early 1967, her recovery was so remarkable that it was difficult to tell that she even had suffered a stroke. Although Neil admitted to still having memory problems... Uh, in April 1968, while shooting this film in an old warehouse on, Manha- on Manhattan's West 26th Street, Neil reflected on her ordeal to uh, critic Rex Reed. Um, I hated life for a year and a half. Then I started learning how to be a person again. And now I've loved life for a year and a half and I love it a lot. So if anything, just give her the Oscar of her fucking surviving and coming Holy back from shit. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty oh crazy. God. And I will, I know from, um, and I told you, this, I, I told you this while we were away. I used to work for um, a charity in Ireland for people with acquired brain injuries and some people that had had strokes. And they say your best chance, depending on what damage has happened is uh, for recovery um, is within two years of whatever has happened to you. Um, and oh. learning her script and learning this and the repetitiveness of it and maybe filming this, this probably was really therapeutic for her. Oh, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. Um, so now I love her even more. Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great journey. Um, uh, but, but I will say that at the dad, um, Al- Albertson, Jack Albertson, Jack Albertson, such a feckin' Irish man. Holy <laughs> shit. Like I'm just looking at him going, you know, stubborn, uh, emotionless, and I'm talking back in the day. I'm not talking now, although some of them are. He's the breadwinner, you know, and, and and there was something that I wrote down that he was great outside of the house. Once he was outside of the house, everybody loved him. Mm-hmm. Um, And she said that, you know, your father was always great outside of the house. So everybody else adored him and everyone else loved him and thought he was charming, you know, uh, and, and could talk to everybody and be everything to everyone outside of the house. But in the house you know, devoid of emotion. I'm the breadwinner. I make the decisions. I control everything. Um, and that, like for that time and era, such an Irish character. <laughs> like seriously. Well, he won an Oscar for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he deserved it. He was great at it. Um, I honestly feel like I'm just trying to think like, so this, of course, for Jack Albertson and for Martin Sheen, they actually had uh, originated this role on stage. Um, and then they reprise it, obviously, in this film. I think Patricia Neal was also originally offered this role, but she couldn't do it. But um, 
Okay. I mean, listen, I don't really know if I have any like big moments. There were some lines um, that I enjoyed. I think for me, the big Oscar moment was when he's trying to have sex with her and it's just too rough and aggressive and not the slow build that she was expecting from the roses to that. Um, I think that was probably the Oscar moment. And again, like there were just some lines that I enjoyed, but otherwise, Oh, how about this? Who the fuck decorated that apartment? It looked like fucking page 12 in the manic depressive catalog. Like everything, like the entire apartment, the cupboards, the mold, everything was gray. I was like, okay, let's get some color in here. Everything was so bloody gray. It was depressing. Well, that's why they were so fucking sad. I mean, I understand that that was probably the production design, but God. Um, Okay. So let's just move on because I don't really know if we have anything else much to say about that. No. Hey, Best Actress listeners. Enjoying the show? Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of Best Actress episodes from the very beginning ad-free by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bestactress. By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon, where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on, ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe. So this is it. Now we have our two winners. So let's talk first about Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl. So very quickly, I didn't know that this was actually a biography, but it's an incredibly inaccurate biography. But anyway, uh, the life of Fanny Bryce, famed comedian and entertainer of the early 1900s, is who Barbara Streisand is playing. We see her rise to fame as a Ziegfeld girl, subsequent career and her personal life, particularly her relationship with Nick Arnstein. But okay, played by Omar Sharif. So Barbara Streisand and Omar Sharif actually had an affair that lasted for the duration of the production. Director William Wyler, who knew about the affair, tried to channel their real-life chemistry into their performances. Streisand had also enjoyed a liaison with Sidney Chaplin, who portrayed Nick on stage. So clearly she loves this character and the men that play him. (laughs) Both affairs would contribute to the end of her marriage with Elliot Gould. Um, Barbara Streisand once stated that if any of her films could be put in a time vault, she would want to be remembered for this one, Mm -hmm. which is crazy because this was her screen debut. Um, Barbara Streisand's first line in this movie is hello gorgeous, which uh, when Streisand won her Oscar for this film at the 41st annual Academy Awards in 1969, she repeated the line when she grabbed the Oscar and she goes to the microphone and she was like, hello, gorgeous. <laughs> um, okay, so I'd never seen this movie before and I have seen some movies with Barbara Streisand, but probably like Meet the Fockers or like um, I've seen like snippets of Yentl. Like I, I don't know a lot about Barbara Streisand, but I've always known the song People. Yeah. Um, I, I really do enjoy that song. I'm not a Babs gay. She's not my diva, but I get it. I understand. She's she's not my diva, but obviously I, I get it. She and I, we have a lot in common. We have the same nose. Um <laughs> And that's great. I love to see big nose girls out there um, as a big nose girl myself. Um, I got to say, though, they really were harsh about her appearance um, at the beginning of this film. I guess for the time they really needed to make that about like they really need to incorporate that into the script, almost like Lady Gaga in A Star is Born. They had to incorporate stuff about her physical appearance into the 
because people would be like, you can't be famous. You're not like a model, like, you know, stuff yeah. like that. And I feel like, oh God, that must be so hard as an actor, but it's fucking Barbara Streisand. Like she can, she got, she's got balls of steel, you know? Um, oh my God. Okay. Anyway, long story short, holy shit. This is a fucking tour de force. I get it. I understand like the singing, the dancing, the acting, um, the fact that she had like a sense of humor about herself as a character, all the comedic moments were working for me. And I also just love that she was like just doing a lot of like self-deprecatory things so that she could be in control of the laughter so that she could be, it would, it wouldn't be laughing at, it would be laughing with. I, I love like the comedic choices that she made. And I just, Oh, this movie was such a breath of fresh air coming out of fucking Isadora, Rachel, Rachel, and fucking the subject was roses. These were all just naps and, you know, manic depressive Zoloft commercials. Right. And so when you're watching funny girl, it's like, Oh, this was so refreshing to see. And I absolutely love this movie. I totally get it. Anyway, I got lots to say, but what did you think? This is my favorite movie of all time. Oh my God. Okay. Wow. And always has been. My mom is a big, huge Barbra Streisand fan. So we grew up watching What's Up Doc, Yentl, The Mirror's Two Faces, The Prince of Time, all, all of the films she's been in, right? Mm-hmm. And Funny Girl is my mom's favorite um, movie, or as we call them in Ireland, a film. And it is my favorite film. And so when you said to me that you had never seen this, I couldn't believe it. Right. <laughs> so I was dying for you to see it and dying for you to fall in love with it. I know every word, I know every song, I know how she did her makeup, I know every costume. I am in love with Omar Sharif. I just, this this movie made me want to be a performer and to be funny on stage. I love that. I mean, I love the way that she remembered Nikki Arnstein's name and she like sang it to herself in her head. Yeah. I love, I thought that was really, really funny. Um, I'm not going to try to sing it because I can't remember how it sounds, but uh, (laughs) maybe if you do, you could sing it for us. Nikki Arnstein. Nikki <laughs> I'll great. sing the whole bloody song. I'll oh, sing but, the whole I movie. Mean, I, I just love the way that she would, it was almost like she would just kind of like keep it real. Like it was, just, it didn't seem like this super like glam, you know, Mary Poppins, you know, so the, yeah. the sound of music. Like it wasn't this like glam, glitzy sort of Broadway production. It was like she grounded it with the humor and like that sort of like, Bronx or Brooklyn or that kind of accent that she had, you know, it's, it just makes it so, um, like obviously funny, but also it makes it like kind of more realistic. It makes her more relatable. And, um, I love all the comedic choices. And again, like I said, like, I love the way that she turns the jokes around, um, on herself. And, uh, there's something about the way that she's not taking herself, too seriously as a character it makes it really refreshing as an audience member especially for lead roles at this time because every single one of these performances is very showy it's very they it's very serious it's very depressing it's very it's almost like it seems like i'm what i'm Every single one of these performances I could easily see being a play, you know? But this, it seemed like she was a real person. 
because yeah. she laughed about herself and she was, she was like going along with the joke and it's like, if she did something embarrassing or unattractive or something, she'd like lean into it. And it was just kind of like, oh my God, yes. Like this is so refreshing to see on screen, especially for the time. But also, um, I again, like I'm not very familiar with Barbara Streisand movies, but like just seeing her like this, I'm like, okay, like I'm a fan, oh, you know, I get amazing. it. Amazing. And this was her first movie, right? So even for her, even though she'd been doing this on Broadway um, and singing, this was her first movie. So it was nearly like this was her big, huge moment on screen, like Fanny Bryce getting that big, huge moment. And she was a Zigfield girl. And so I just I could feel the excitement from mm-hmm. her. Maybe that was all real. And I love that she was having an affair with Omar Sharif through it. It just makes <laughs> the chemistry even better. I feel very sorry for Elliot Gould. But like, holy shit, their chemistry on screen, how they look at each other and kiss each other and hold each other. And that that was real. Oh, Jesus here. I could listen. And this whole, all the music from this, I already have it in my Spotify playlist for my funeral. My kids already (laughs) know that whenever I do die, Rain on My Parade is to be played and exactly when it's to be played in the ceremony. (laughs) Wow. So this is your, you are a Barbara Stan. I really am. I really am. Um... Okay, the the film's screenplay bears little resemblance to Fanny Bryce's life. Um, so this movie was apparently quite inaccurate. For example, both Bryce and Arnstein were already married when they first uh, when they first met. Arnstein's first wife specifically named Bryce in her divorce case as the correspondent for alienation of affection. Prior to the marriage of Bryce and Arnstein, Arnstein was already a convicted felon who had been incarcerated in Sing Sing for wire fraud and Bryce had visited him in prison. Furthermore, Bryce was never a struggling out-of-work actress, but was a wealthy young girl who had attained stardom by age 13. She also was not the first comedic act hired by Florence Ziegfeld Jr., and Ziegfeld had always insisted upon humorous acts in his shows. So this is really, I mean, listen, I understand that this is based on somebody, but I think it was more like, this is the star-making vehicle for Barbara Streisand. I mean- at this point, she had been nominated for a bunch of Tonys. She'd had a, she had a bunch of Grammys. She had like some Emmys at this point. Um, she became an EGOT winner by like, she was the youngest EGOT winner ever because she won like an honorary Tony for like her body of work on stage by like 1970. So like by the time that she was like 26, she was already EGOT. Like makes you fucking feel bad about like <laughs> how much work you're putting into the stuff. Like imagine <laughs> fucking accomplishing that before you even hit 30, right? Like God. Yeah. Um, but this film, uh, I think it was, uh, Gregory Peck who became the president of the Academy. He made her a member of the Academy, um, before this movie had even come out, which was controversial, but they said, cause you have to wait three years before becoming an Academy member after like you, you have a film that comes out and then you can apply. And then if you're nominated, you can become a member, but, uh, she became a member immediately and, You'd think that would be controversial because she could vote for herself, but they were like to deny Barbara Streisand at her level of talent, uh, the right to vote in the Academy is just is is ridiculous. So she was so respected and so beloved. And so this movie 
it almost just seems like this movie was made just to give her an excuse to give her an Oscar, you know, like, yes. And she deserves everything. It's, it was an amazing, amazing performance. The only thing about the movie that I didn't like. um, Yeah. The only part that a movie that I didn't like was whenever there was kind of that Cinderella rags to ridges moment with Omar the movie before he starts to before Omar like when you start to have the the issues with gambling, yes, and and that that's before we get to the gambling that part dragged for me. This was after this is after the intermission, yeah, and they're just kind of in their apartment and everything's great and everybody's like you know happy and super rich and I I just that part of the movie for me dragged. Um, it was more interesting to me whenever Fanny would deal with, you know, adversary, adversary, um, uh, obstacles, conflict, whenever she, and the way that she would handle everything with like humor, like when she would call it like Schwan Lake, you know, instead of like Swan Lake, like, I just thought that was really funny. Um, seeing her just on stage doing the silly things. Like I could watch that for like an hour, the singing. And it's just so crazy to think like you're performing something, you're comparing something like this to, you know, Catherine Hepburn in the lion in winter. It's like Barbara Streisand had to do like, you know, like 12 different things at once, you know, it, and, and then to compare it to, to Barbara, to Catherine Hepburn in the lion in winter, who is, giving a tour de force acting performance. It's like, how do you, how do you compare those two things? Like they're just, they're yeah. so different. So it's like, you can kind of understand like how there was like a tie here, but like, um, first time watching it, absolutely love it. Totally get it. And I actually look forward to seeing other Barbara Streisand movies yes. in the and future. And you're going to really enjoy my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> oh, am I invited? Oh, wonderful. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, she was fantastic. Listen, she can do it all. She can do it all. I do agree with you. Once the intermission hits, it's like a different movie. You come back yeah. to, oh, things aren't as rosy in the garden as we thought. But that adds depth to it. And it shows her more mature. And she still adores him so much and wants to believe all the shit coming out of his mouth. I mean, I wrote down six red flags, you know, <laughs> by the time they had to sell the house. But she loved him so much and it adored him and he loved and adored her too but like he said he couldn't keep up with her um i mean jesus christ who you know who in the name of god's going to want to marry somebody and their job is gambling you know Celine Dion. <laughs> okay well, yeah because before uh renee angeli died apparently he was like gambling he had a really bad yeah. gambling problem god yeah. it's so sad and, and it's an addiction like i, I believe it um, but so I do get what you're saying about the, once you hit the intermission and they come back and they're living in the massive house and he comes back and they didn't hit oil and they have to sell the house, move into the apartment, which is still a bloody beautiful apartment. Yeah. And she's had the baby and she's working her ass off and going back to work. And then he's trying to, you know, get in on other deals and get in on, and her mom talks to her and she's like, love him a bit less and help him more. Um, but his pride, you know, th- listen, It'll be the end of the world, male pride. That's what's going to cause it. <laughs> this movie has very uh, A Star Is Born vibes, which, of course, Barbara yes. Streisand won Best Original <gasps> Song for. Yes. Um, oh. But, it, yeah, just as a as as a whole, um, this was the first time that I perked up and I didn't check out at all watching yeah. this film. Like I, I was there for it the entire 
the entire time. Um, and I, uh, I also love the campy quality of like the, like her family and how supportive they are of her and how, um, and she the kinda, neighbors and all. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I just, I loved all, I loved all of it, but it was always Barbara Streisand, like Fanny that would come in and just sort of make the scene, the scene seem believable because she was just making jokes and laughing at herself. And that was what I loved the most. I mean, obviously as a comedian, I have a soft spot for that, but then, you know, she'd turn around and then she'd fucking sing like people or the what's rain on my parade. And just, yeah. you're just like, wow. Like you're, you're witnessing a, a true talent, you know? Yeah. Um, I get, I totally get it. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, Absolutely amazing. Okay, so let's, or sorry, do you have anything else that you want to say nope. before we move on? Okay. Let's talk about Catherine Hepburn in The Lion in Winter. So first of all, let's just get it right out of the way. This bitch was supposed to be British, okay? She was not <laughs> British at all. And many of movie critics at the time said, you know what? They're like, like you just believe that she would sound like that because it's Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. She's like the queen of Hollywood. That's what a queen sounds like. You just, you just accept it. You're like, okay, but that was not a fucking British accent, you know? Um, okay. So very quickly, the lion in winter. So in, uh, 1183 AD, King Henry II's three sons all want to inherit the throne, but he won't commit to a choice. When he allows his imprisoned wife, Eleanor of, I'm going to pronounce this so wrong, Aquitaine. 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 Thank you. Eleanor of Aquitaine out for a Christmas visit. They all variously plot to force him into a mm -hmm. decision. And um, Anthony Hopkins, who is very sexy in this movie, uh, plays yeah. uh, Richard, uh, who is uh, also apparently gay, which mm -hmm. I enjoyed. I enjoyed that a lot <laughs> um, in this movie. Yeah, Hannibal Lecter back in the day, he was a hottie. And um, yeah. Catherine Hepburn in this movie. Okay, so okay, so how do I say it again? Eleanor of Aquitaine. Aquitaine. It sounds like a. It sounds like smart water. Aquitaine. Yes. Um, refreshing. So I love her fucking grand entrance into this movie. Like if I was alive during <laughs> yeah. medieval times, I would be taking Uber boat everywhere. Like yeah. this bitch was, I loved the grand entrance and the way that she kind of greets them. She's like, oh, thank you for busting me out of prison for the holidays. You know, yeah. and just immediately like we're off. Like, and this is a, a lead performance where I'm actually like, yes, she is a lead because guess who's coming to dinner? You could argue a little bit of supporting, um, uh, on golden pond. You could also maybe yeah. argue a little bit of supporting, um, most of the time, whenever I talk about Catherine Hepburn movies, listen, I don't think that she should have four Oscars. I've, I've seen, I've seen the majority of her where I don't think that she should have four. You could argue three, but I would say she should probably have two. If Betty Davis only has two, I think that Catherine Hepburn should only have two. <laughs> But Catherine Hepburn, she remained very athletic, very thin, very gorgeous. She was kind of like the Meryl Streep of her generation. Yeah. And this nomination was the record for The Lion in Winter of the most nominations by an actor ever at 11. And then she also became the first actor to win three lead actor Oscars. So it's 
a very well-respected performance. Um, I just like watching this movie, enjoy Catherine Hepburn being Catherine Hepburn, but I'm very aware that I'm watching Catherine Hepburn. Anyway, lots to talk about here. What did you think of the movie and what did you think about Catherine Hepburn? Uh, I thought she was fantastic. I Mm. loved the cast. Peter Mm. O'Toole, holy shit, come on. And I could, like, I could have done less with the sons in it. And whenever the soldiers are fighting each other in their chain mail, I'm like, can we just get back to Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn on screen? The dialogue, the conversation, the chemistry, fantastic. And I thought mm. she was amazing in it. And, and like, you know, he, and him saying to his new lover, Alice, oh, she's away, just my wife is decaying. In other words, she's gotten too old and he's moved on and wants a younger bird. You know, um, and she herself acts like a decaying woman, but still he loves her and adores her and respects her um, and listens to her, you Mm -hmm. know, and that they they put on this show for everyone around them that they are, uh, you know, um, still together, even though it's all bullshit. Um, I I love the dynamic between the two of them. And anytime the two of them are on 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 stage, on the screen together, the dialogue, the I just... I thought she was fantastic in this. I really thought she was fantastic. Well, her character uh, is very cool, calm, and calculated. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of just see it's kind of fun seeing her use like that sort of I don't give a fuck energy, even though technically she is uh, King Henry II's prisoner, right? Yeah. Pr- prisoner wife, and. I just sort of enjoyed the way that she kind of still acted like she was still like holding all the cards in her hand. And the one thing I didn't really understand though, was what everybody just described her as like venomous and awful. And everyone had so much resentment toward her, but the way that she plays Eleanor is extremely relatable and likable. So as an audience member, there was a bit of a disconnect there because I was like, why does everybody hate this woman so much? Because she's clearly the most like awesome person in the movie. Yeah. Like, is it because we're supposed to all think that you're all awful and like, she's amazing. Like, I don't know if that was like a, like a directorial choice or something like that. But I, 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 there was too much of a disconnect there for me personally. Um, I love the way though, that she was so emotionally vulnerable um, sort of near the end when she admits how much she loves uh, King Henry II and how she doesn't want him to leave her and get the marriage annulled by the Pope. Yeah. And um, she has like a lot of really wonderful emotional breakdowns, but then she has all these really wonderful monologues where she explains her point of view a very very well written movie i think this one best writing as Mm -hmm. well um a couple of facts about this film Catherine hepburn bested peter o'toole as the top dog on set which i fucking love to hear that uh known to be something of a tyrant on most of his shoots uh, o'toole meekly obliged when uh she told him Peter, stop towering over me. Come and sit down and try to look respectable. O'Toole readily admitted um, in her presence that she reduced him to, quote, 
a shadow of my former gay dog self. She is terrifying. It is sheer masochism working with her. She has been sent by some dark fate to nag and torment me. Her reply, don't be so silly. We are going to get on very well. You are Irish and you make me laugh. In any case, I am on to you and you to me. So I assume that, yes, she would be a very intimidating um, Oh, yeah person uh Catherine Hepburn portrayed her own ancestor by the way she was actually dis- descended from Eleanor of wow. what was it Aquin- Aquitaine Aquitaine she was descended from Eleanor of Aquitaine through numerous family ties uh from both Eleanor's marriage to Louis the seventh king of France and Eleanor's marriage to Henry the second king of England oh Jesus she's like fucking royalty over here that's yeah. okay wow Good for her um And let me see here. Although Catherine Hepburn and Peter O'Toole had met several years earlier and she was a great admirer of his work, she had no intention of putting up with the rather bad behavior that he often exhibited on his productions. You're known to be late, she told him on the first day of work. I intend for you to be on time. I hear you stay out at night. You better be rested in the morning if you're going to work with me. I think I Googled, yeah, I think if you just quickly Google, like, you know, Catherine Hepburn, Anthony Hopkins, and The Lion in Winter, like, he... He, there's I haven't watched it yet, but there's a video where he basically talks about, like, you don't fuck with Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I love that. And she kind of, she, she brought that, she really brought that energy. Um, but anyway, I, I mean, of the perform, was there any kind of moment um, in this film that you really, that was like maybe your favorite um, yes. from her? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when she is, she has her hair down and she's in the mirror um, and she's, and, and even though she's older, um, like a decaying woman, um, she has her hair down like glamorous Hollywood 50s hair and she's leaning on her hands, looking in the mirror, talking to herself. And then her sons come in one by one and you're looking at her going, it's literally just Hollywood Catherine Hepburn. But she's she's I, I, even though I believed it was Eleanor, I kept going in and out of she's so stunning. She's so majestic on screen. Um, And that's so weird that you tell me she she is descendant from Eleanor. But that (laughs) moment, the conversation that, well, number one, the conversation she was having with herself and about her beauty and about her age and about being a woman, um, I thought was that to me was her Oscar moment there was that and the when she was having the conversation with henry the second at the end and telling him she still adored him and loved him and she cried they were the two big part parts in the movie where i thought yeah absolutely give her the oscar well it's she funny because well what was it at the end like she's so happy that they didn't get a divorce and she's like okay back to prison i know and they <laughs> says, she says i hope you never die <laughs> <laughs> she's just like laughing hysterically yeah. and they're waving at each other. And I'm like, okay, that was a weird end. But what I love about that is she knew she was never going to come out of prison. Like he would leave her there, but she didn't want, she still wanted to be married to him. And even though he had mistresses and even though he had lovers and even though he was pitting all the sons against each other, um, I felt that she did hold all the cards because she wasn't in the running. It was somebody mm-hmm. else who was going to inherit it all. She had done her duty. She had given him kids. She had been the queen that he needed. And now he, like when you say, you know, he had her living in a dungeon, she was living somewhere else, but it was like obviously a pretty beautiful place, but she didn't have the freedom that that he had. 
Um, yeah. But she didn't seem like she was lacking for anything. And she seemed happy with her lot. Um, I, I just thought it was fantastic. The, a really powerful performance. It was like I was watching um, a Shakespearean play, but the dialogue was m- modern, if you know what I mean. I completely agree with you. There was one moment where I thought the same thing. I was kind of like, hmm, she almost doesn't quite fit in with everybody. And I don't know if that was like the accent or just the way that she was delivering her lines because, you know, you would have like Anthony Hopkins like saying it in such a Shakespearean sort of way. But then Catherine Hepburn would just kind of she would always put everybody in their place. She's very good at that. Like she's very good at like putting you in your place with few words. But when she says it, there's kind of like a sting. It's kind of like a fuck you. Like you don't know what you're talking about. I'm Catherine Hepper and fuck you. And she kind of, that's kind of her signature. And she does that so much. And then, you know, that's why we love her. Right. And, and that's why um, it's, it's just such a wonderful, it's so wonderful. Like watching her and stuff like that. I don't really think that Catherine Hepburn has this big, great range. I just think that she knows a good script and she knows yeah. she works really fucking hard. And I think that she, she just has such a great sense of being like, this will work for me. And I know how to make this work. But every time that I watch Catherine Hepburn, I'm very aware that I'm watching Catherine Hepburn. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've never seen her quite like lose herself, if you will. Um, but you know that not all actors need to be a Meryl Streep, right? Um, but I do think that, uh, yeah, there there were certainly moments where it, it, like you're saying, it almost felt like it was 1968 and everybody else felt like they were back in 1183. Yeah. Uh, there there were certainly moments like that for sure. But overall, um, I think that uh, she did a good job of convincing me that three of those kids that look nothing like each other or any have any chemistry at all. She did a good job of convincing, you know, that they were her sons and um, she yeah, always just working with what she had and um, a really, really fantastic performance. Uh, Whoever from- passed the youngest son should be taken out and shot was he supposed to be like a village idiot like he kept taking me out of the story i was like he's like big googly eyes and talking with his mouth open all the time i was like i'm gonna kill this guy um he kept bothering me he was like a village idiot um and that the dad wanted him to be king um i know it was it was inexplicable yeah that was but her role and peter o'toole's role and uh, anthony hopkins and Timothy Dalton, who expected him to arrive? Um, I just loved it. I loved every time they were all having conversations. The script was so clever. Um, I could follow along. I was never lost. Uh, I, she was fantastic in it. And and I think you're right in saying it was very much a Catherine Hepburn part. Mm-hmm. And she played it perfectly. So uh, I guess I have like a one little last fact here. And then we should probably pick who we think that the Oscar should have gone to. But before we do it, just very quickly. um, So Anthony Hopkins actually expressed anxiety about this performance. um, And he didn't really feel that he could could compare himself or work with people like Peter O'Toole or Catherine Hepburn. And Hepburn allegedly advised him, don't act, leave that to me. I act all over the place. You don't need to act. You've got a good face. You've got a good voice. You've got a big body. Watch Spencer Tracy. Watch the real American actors that never act. They just do it. Just show up and speak the lines. Hopkins later regarded this as the best acting advice that he had ever been given. Wow. Um, 
so there you go. Um, but yeah, okay. So lot, lots to say. We've we've said lots about all of these performances and about these movies. Um, and I do agree. I think that of all of the Catherine Hepburn roles that I've seen to date, of all of her like Oscar winning roles and stuff like that, this is one that I actually get. Because on Golden Pond and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, I was like, really? Like she won an Oscar for this? It's like the subject matter, but the performance, I don't know. But like something with The Lion in Winter, um, I actually fully understand it. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. But um, I do want to say that this show, we do not believe in ties. So we have to pick who we think that the Oscar oh. should have gone to. So Fiona, you are my guest of honor. Will you please go first in revealing who you think that who you think should have won? I think the Oscar should have gone to. Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Big surprise. Don't tell me not to <laughs> sing all the songs. I love it. Okay, why? Just perfect. Mm. Looks perfect. Actor perfect. The jokes are perfect. The timing, the comedy, the voice, the chemistry with everyone. I loved it. Absolutely and and forever. Nobody will ever top this performance ever again in my life. Oh, wow. Okay. High praise. There you go. I mean, obviously I knew you were going to pick that when you said it was your favorite movie yes. of all time. So yeah. there you go. Uh, okay. So, huh. This is tricky. Okay. I think that the Oscar should have gone to. Barbara Streisand for Funny Girl. I uh, just found that of all of these performances, it was the one performance that just um, was refreshing. Not just because of like the singing and and stuff, and but just the way that she had this sort of scrappy, you know, and she had this like you know sense of humor about herself, and uh, the way that they. Uh, the way that she would be in character, but then like make a joke as the character, but then, uh, you know, it's all scripted, but it just seems so like in the moment and it just seems yeah. so natural. And it just, you can tell that you are witnessing the beginning of a new generation of star. And like, for Christ's sake, like she's an EGOT winner at like, you know, 25, 26 or whatever. And um, you can certainly see why I can see why she won this Oscar. And um, I don't think that Barbara Streisand and Catherine Hepburn needed to tie. I really feel like this is Barbara Streisand's year. Like it, this performance is insane. And yeah. I fully get it. And I, I've, like I said, like I've never really been a big Barbara Streisand person. Like I get it. It's just she was never. But after seeing this, I'm like, oh, wow. Like I would like to see more of her work because this is just so incredible. So for me, it's it's Barbara Streisand. Good. Oh, my As gosh. As it should be. That's exactly oh how it should be. We did it. Did you think after 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 having to watch Isadora over the course of three days that we would eventually get here? <laughs> Listen. This one was a struggle. And, this um, one was and, and a struggle. For, for all of your listeners, we were living in a house with uh, five other comics. Was it five <laughs> other comics for, for five days? And we thought, oh, yeah, we'll watch a movie a day. No problem. It was like Grand Central Station. People were coming and going. There was a lot of drink. There was a lot of vaping. Uh, mother of, I never thought we'd get here. 
And we did. We made it. And I am so grateful. I, I thank you so much, Fiona, for your time and for your, your hard work. Um, where can people find you on social media? Um, if you go to my website, I have a new website, FionaO'BrienComedy.com. And that will link you to my Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and sh- any shows that I have coming up. Um, yeah, that, and what's just go the there. What's the link? FionaO'BrienComedy.com. Beautiful. Okay. Thank well, you. thank you so much, Fiona. We love and appreciate you. And we'll have to have you back again in the future. Maybe next time we won't have to watch Isadora. Ugh. Okay. Isadora. Bye. <sighs> Did you enjoy the show? Want to hear more episodes? Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad-free with your subscription. Subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else. Oh my god. Go to patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe and I will see you all at Howard's End.